Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. Just take advice from people who've done what you want to do and then just Follow their advice and go one step at a time. Some great advice from Antonio Cala, today's guest, and that's why we have him here to learn from him. He's done a ton of traveling, some of the highlights, cycling 25,000 kilometers from California to Patagonia over three years. He has lived on a sailboat for three years, clocking 10,000 nautical miles, ridden a motorcycle 30,000 kilometers from Spain to Cape Town. And he started financing his travels with his savings, spending as little as $10 a day, eventually went on to build a business starting with 500 bucks, no previous business experience and no business background, ended up making seven figures a year. And he's got a wealth of information to share with you today. He was also the trainer for the New Zealand Olympic swimming team. So I pull out some of the best lessons he learned in that position and some of the struggles he had giving up what was essentially a dream job in order to go traveling. And all of that is happening in today's show. So buckle up, strap in, thanks for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. And our guest today, Antonio Kala, has certainly filled his life with travel, spent the last decade traveling full-time to 150-plus countries. You heard the highlights at the top. And my goal here with this chat was to just get to know him and pull out some of the lessons that he's learned along the way that you could perhaps apply to your own life, to your own travels. And I should mention, Antonio is also the founder of adventurefix.co, which is the ultimate adventure magazine packed with the top travel expeditions, wildlife encounters, and remote places from around the world. And you can sign up for free over there at adventurefix.co. You've maybe never heard of him, and that's intentional. We talk about that at the top here. So this podcasting thing, putting himself out there, sharing his stories is totally new for him. And I'm honored that he chose to spend his time to share on this show. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Antonio 
Stick around on the back end, leave you with a nice quote to wrap things up. Thanks for listening and enjoy the conversation. Well, these are the joys of remote work, right? Like you're you're tucked into some room at your parents' house. I'm tucked in uh, in my wife's childhood bedroom. <laughs> but hey, it doesn't affect the audio quality, does it? Yeah, at the end, it's just it's all about the conversation, isn't it? Like uh, <laughs> it doesn't have to be super fancy or super. I don't know. I think it's if it's interesting, it's interesting, and if it's not, you know, it doesn't matter. The the audio is perfect and the setup is perfect and. Well, you could say the same thing about travel, right? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Well, in some ways, it's enhanced, I guess. Yeah. So what we're saying is coming at you from these small uh, little cubby holes, it's an enhanced version of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do want to say, uh, formerly, Antonio Kala, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Great to have you here. Oh, thank you. Such an honor to be here after listening to you for a while, actually. Really? Yeah. So very, very happy to be here. I'm really glad you reached out because you have done a few different pretty epic adventures. You know, I got like a glimpse of your story, but you said you haven't done many podcasts. You don't really put this stuff out there. So I thought, well, this will be really cool. It'll give you a chance to kind of share a bit more about your journey. You you said you're visiting your folks now. Is that in Spain? Because you're originally from Spain, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm kind of like a, an old school, if you want to call it that way. Uh, I'm not really into social media, especially when I'm traveling. Uh, kind of like a private person sometimes, you know, like like uh, keep those memories for myself and my family. So I'm not really the kind of guy that likes going and putting everything on Instagram. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I don't consume a lot of that content that all the people put out there, which I, I really appreciate. And podcasts, I found that I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, not just travel podcasts, like different kind of business, health, kind of self-development kind of stuff. And when you travel, I think, yeah, podcasts are great, right? Because you just download them up front and then just kind of listen them to them anywhere you are. And that's kind of how I've been uh, following your journey and your podcast as well and uh, kind of learning a, a lot about your guests and also like places to go and things to do and that kind of stuff. Well, this is your chance to kind of give back to the community here and share some of your knowledge. No, I, I appreciate that. I mean, it's uh, I'm the same. I don't necessarily you know, do a lot of social media, look at the travels, what I'm doing right now and all this kind of stuff. You know, when people do that, I get inspired by it. So I see the value in it too. It's like a catch 22, right? Like you, you know, that sharing some things can, you know, can can be helpful depending on how you're sharing and what ways you do. But also if it's not something you want to do or you're driven to do, then I think that's cool too. know thyself, right? hundred percent. Yeah. I think it really depends on you. Like uh, what kind of person you are, what do you enjoy, and how that affects your travels. I think this, I mean, social media is the latest thing, but, you know, people have been writing books for, like, you know, donkeys, like, so long. And that's kind of like a form of blogging in a way. Uh, I mean, when when I started traveling, blogging was the coolest thing, right? Like, it was like Instagram wasn't out, and people were blogging all around. I think that there's a lot of value to that. Now, YouTube channels and stuff. I'm just, in general, I like more the long form 
kind of travel. Like I'm, I'm a little bit against the, you know, look at this picture of this angle and, you know, this is great. And then you go to that place and it's, it's quite different from that picture that you saw. But when you, when you read a book and you immerse yourself in the story or you watch some, a uh, long form documentary or video or listen to a, a long form podcast like this one i think you get a you get something different that i think is very um very rewarding very uh, you can learn a lot from it more than just the you know like the quick post instagramable hotspot around the world kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> for sure well i mean we're, we're going to talk about your adventures here and your company adventurefix.co by the way i just signed up for the newsletter so i just do want to drop that url we're going to talk a bit about that as well you have done several big big adventures all right let's start with the new zealand olympic swimming team because that was what you were doing before you before you started traveling full-time so that to me sounds like, you know, if you're a trainer and you're involved in a sport like that and now you're at the Olympic level, isn't that kind of like the dream, I would imagine, right? Like I made it to the Olympic level. I'm actually training Olympians. I, I don't know what your journey, what, where your swimming journey took you or how you got to this point. Maybe you could share a bit about your your that sport and your life with it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, that was my childhood dream, um, being involved with Olympics. Uh, really? Yeah, I mean, I do you, started... Do you remember, like, how old you were when you first... Well, I started swimming. I learned to swim when I was three. Uh, really? Like, and I started training as a swimmer when I was six. Like, uh, what? They, even, they even have to make an exception for me to be able to be allowed to swim at the swim school, at the swim team, right? Because... The earliest that you could be uh, part of the team was eight, and I was six. And the trainer was, "These guys ready? Just, just bring him over." And uh, so I started swimming at a very young age, and I kind of all my life um, went around swimming. Uh, not that I mean, I was too young to really think through the whole thing. I was just swimming because uh, it was a, such a great group of friends that I have in the team, and I just want to be hanging out with my friends. Swimming is not like super entertaining or anything, right? It's just doing laps in the pool. But if you just want to go hang out with your friends and the more you train, you know, the, the better you get, the more training and more hours you spend in the pool. Um, and I just did that when I was a, a teenager, so I mean, all the way until I was uh, 18, 19. Then I went to uni. I went to study sports science because I want to be a coach. Uh, then after that, uh, I started coaching myself uh, when I finished uni, but um, I was always very interested in science and I uh, started a PhD on biomechanics. So swimming is very is a very technical sport. So I always thought like when I, when I was around 23, 24, that there was a lot of room for improvement uh, in the coaching world. And I decided to, to do a PhD on that and study the Biomechanics, for whoever doesn't really know what it is, is basically physics applied to the human movement. So swimming, what a biomechanist does is analyzing the, the, the technique of the swimmers and finding ways to make them more efficient through the water. So uh, at 25, I, I was offered a position to um, be a biomechanist slash coach in New Zealand working with the New Zealand Olympic team. And that was like, wow, I can't believe it. So I moved all the, halfway around the world uh, from Spain to, to New Zealand to follow that path. And uh, that was back in tw- uh, 2008. And 
four years later in 2012, I was selected to go with the, with the team to go to the Olympics because at the Olympics, even coaches have to be selected. So there's limited amount. Yeah, so it's not, they can't bring as many people as they want. Uh, it's like the swimmers have to meet certain times and then the coaches have to be picked, you know, among everyone who's bringing their swimmers. And anyway, long story short, I was selected. I was all over my, uh, you know, like all over the place. I was only 29 when that happens, which is really young for a coach to be selected for the Olympics. And that was the the tipping point, right? Like I spent pretty much since I was a kid all the way until I was 29, everything around my, everything in my life was around swimming and everything I did was swimming. And now I made my dream come true. And now what? Do I want to do the same thing for the rest of my life or do I want to do something else? And that's when travel came into place. I was always very interested in travel, very curious Every time I had some time off, I could, you know, I, everything I did, like uh, the time off, the money that I could save, it will go to travel. But uh, the longest that I could go away was maybe like two weeks, three weeks. And I was very, very jealous of the people I met through my travels that they were able to take a year off, or two, year or two years off and gone around the world. For me, that was impossible because I had to work. But now that was what I was like, do I want to keep going with swimming? Or do I want to just go traveling? And, and that was the hardest decision in my life. It was the best decision looking back. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's... Wow. Uh, well, it's cool to think that you reached this peak of, a, of your dream, right? Not that it's all downhill from there because, you know, that's a lifestyle as well. Like you obviously got to travel to New Zealand. You got to be around something you loved. Perhaps there were other opportunities to live in other countries and do other things. That's a, So that's a huge decision to give all that up. But also there's some uh, beauty in, in your decision, I feel, to, to say, okay, I reached like sort of the pinnacle of where I wanted this dream to go. Now it's time to move on and do something else and I'm going to choose travel and that's not, that's not an easy thing to do. Before we kind of move into the travel stuff, I'm just wondering, I really wanted to learn a bit more about some of the lessons you learned from working with some of the, you know, the best at what they do in the world. And I think, you know, whether it's swimming or writing or whatever, it could be really any pursuit, but you have a unique experience there. You've really worked at some people that are world-class at something. So I'm just wondering what were some of the lessons you took away? I mean, that from the coaching staff, from the athletes, uh, from being around some of the best in the world at something. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's incredibly inspire inspiring. Um, it's the learning and the growth that goes by being surrounded by those people. It's, it's pretty amazing. I think um, there's different lessons here. Like uh, the main lesson, I think it's... Uh, we tend to underestimate the power of the mind. Most of these people, they were like um, physically, they were better than the best in the world. But then we will be training and they will be breaking world records in training. Like we'll be timing them, world record. Um, and then they'll go to competitions and they'll freak out and they wouldn't perform. Or they wouldn't, they might not believe on themselves. They might not believe how good they are. 
And when you get to that level, to the Olympics, it's like, so, oh, you're very talented, so you go to the Olympics. When you go to the Olympics, everyone is freaking talented, man. Like it's, like, it's like that's the ticket to go. It's not the ticket to win, right? The ticket to win is, apart from a lot of work, it's believing that you can do it. So if you believe you can do something, that's a starting point to having a chance to achieve that. One of the coaches used to work, they used to tell the swimmers, if you don't dream with it, if you don't believe it can happen, it's not going to happen. So, and that you can apply with, with, with anything in life. Like if you don't believe you can do it, it's just not going to happen. It's just extraordinary things don't just happen. Like you got to believe in it. You got to work your ass off. You got to compete. And then when everything comes together, you might have a chance to achieve it. And, um, and that was, that was quite, quite inspiring. And, um, and I guess the other lesson is like, it's the ability to focus. Like, um, after that, after those years working in swimming, I believe that I'm a really focused person. It's one of my core values, focus. And that ability of weeding everything out and just putting 100% into one thing, it's something that the very, very best are really able to do it. Like they change everything in their lives. Everything goes around one thing for four years that it's what an Olympic cycle lasts. And that is really hard because that's like attention, eating, uh, um, relationships, uh, training, how you spend your time, everything, you know. And um, and that's, that's totally underrated, I think. And it's something that is incredibly hard to do and uh, because you have to say no to a lot of things, right? Every time you decide to do something, you deciding not to do something else, right? And consciously or unconsciously, and um, and I think that uh, that's something that you can apply to life. Like for example, when I was dedicating my life to swimming, I also was saying no to a bunch of things. When I was focusing my life in travel, I also was saying no to a lot of things at the same time, and um, and that's that that's something that. Um, that top level athletes athletes do really well and uh, and it's it's really difficult to do well you said no to continuing on at an elite level as a coach which is what you've you spent like you said your whole life working towards so that's mm-hmm. that's the biggest no of all right for sure you mentioned focus being one of your core values what are your other core values uh focus is number one ownership is another one so ownership um i believe everything that happens in to me in my life is my fault so and i like seeing my life through that angle i think it's very proactive i think like i'm not waiting for people for things to happen in my life i take ownership of my actions if something happens like oh i wasn't i don't believe in not in luck I, i do believe in luck sometimes but like um like a lot of things, a lot of people have this victim mentality, like things happens to them. Oh, poor me that this happened to me. Poor me that this happened to me. I prefer to frame my my mindset into what that happened to me because I did this or did that and that it was my fault. Both for the good things and the bad things. And I think you you grow a lot if you, if you see life through that. And um, so that's kind of what I understand by ownership. 
So focus, ownership, um, growth, health, and adventure. Those, those are my five core values. It says a lot that you know what those are and you can basically rattle them off right off the top of your head. I think it's a very useful exercise, something that's come up in the, the podcast quite a bit recently, this idea of just establishing your core values and using them as a compass, I suppose, for your decision-making and your daily habits that you're building. And and yeah, every time I get this in front of me, I'm like, well, what are my, I know my core values, but I really got to write them out, man. I got to have them like right at the top of my head. That's the way to go. Really cool. The transition to travel, did that happen immediately for you? Are you in New Zealand or you finished the Olympics? How did you guys do, by the way, in the Olympics? Was it the Michael Phelps years? Uh, yeah, yeah, they were. Michael Phelps was in the pool, <laughs> so <laughs> it made it a little bit more difficult. I mean, New Zealand is a small uh, country, uh, but it has it has a really strong tradition with swimming, so they do really well at swimming. Um, we got a few swimmers in the final. We got fourth. That that was like ah, that's. Um, just... yeah. But nonetheless, it was rewarding. We were pretty happy about that because four years later they were. Not even in the final, so... We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why. We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. So you finish up, you make this decision, and now what's that middle period between that and your first 
uh, it sounds like you, you, you went on to do a decade of full-time travel and it, your first one was a 25,000 kilometer cycling trip from California to Patagonia, which took three years. Is that right? That's right. Well, that's what we end up doing. The, the initial plan was, look, I'm going to, during those four years in New Zealand, uh, the idea is starting to grow in my mind, right? Like after I do this, I, I want to take a time off. Uh, and at the beginning it was one year old, only one year. I'm just going to take a year off and then come back and pick it where I left and, uh, and continue working in swimming. Then through those four years that I spent in New Zealand, I met my then girlfriend, now wife, Amanda, and, she's um, from New Zealand. She's American, but oh, she she's was American. Living. Okay, so you got yeah. America, Spain. That's right, you guys. You got the international <laughs> couple thing All going. I, I know the. Uh, I know how it is, man. It can be tough. You can totally relate. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So she just finished uni and she took a, a gap year, and she was in New Zealand, just like you know. Um, after uni, I want to have some travel experience. She was working as a nanny. And, uh, and I met her uh, two years after I arrived in New Zealand, so halfway through those four years. So we, you know, things got a bit more serious. We're moving together. And I just, you know, when I had one year to go to the Olympics, she was, she really wanted to go traveling. And I was like, well, look, I really want to go traveling as well. But this is the dream I've been working for, for you know, for decades. So just give me one year, one year. And then once I got to the Olympics, I quit my job and we got traveling. And this is a very tough decision because I've worked all my life. You know, I'm, I've worked my PhD. I'm, I on my to, I'm on my on the top of my career. Uh, I'm earning really well. Uh, I'm not going to earn more money than what I was doing because I'm working, you know, at the highest level. You know, you got pressure from family. You know, they kind of like I'm kind of in my family. I'm the the first guy who got a PhD. I'm the kind of like good student. You know. Yeah. Uh, runs through by the by the book and uh, why are you throwing it away, man? That kind absolutely, of absolutely, right? absolutely. <laughs> what are you doing? You crazy? You got your You're life throwing it away for travel you know? and all this, you know? And, and not even that. <laughs> I'm just gonna buy a bicycle and go cycling. And uh, and the plan was, yeah, we're just gonna buy two bicycles. We save a bunch of money. And uh, what I told my girlfriend was, look, we have one year. Just save as much money. Pick up a job. Save as much money as you can, and you know, in 2012, we quit, we quit our jobs and we got cycling. And the idea was that it was going to be one year gone cycling, and end up being three years cycling, but ten years of of traveling around the world. And um, yeah, I don't know if you want <laughs> to go more into the cycling thing, but uh, yeah. Well, yeah, because you, you did the cycling thing and then you did the sailboat thing and then you guys did the motorcycle thing. So it's really interesting that you change your mode of transportation, which obviously changes your travel experience and, and the style, perhaps. And then starting the business, which I want to get into some of the lessons there. But yeah, because you've done these three big adventures, I kind of want to hear, first of all, what the experience was like on the ground, a bit about that, and and then also some practical advice around that. So when you say, you know, three years, somebody thinking about doing, uh, let's say a bigger adventure, whether it's a, a year like you initially planned or a month or two, and then it turns into three years. How did you guys manage that from like a budget perspective? Like why did it turn into three years? Was it just, you were just having such a good time. You decided to keep it going. How, how did that sort of evolve? I know it happens in real time, so it's kind of hard to um, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, 
But if you can kind of think back and put yourself back on the pedals and how you were feeling, did you guys just just get into some kind of flow or you're just like, this is, we're just, we, tr- we just like went from kind of traveling to we're just living life, man. And our life's on a bike. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's no far from that, actually. Um, we started traveling and, you know, we have a certain amount of money saved. The reason why we want to go cycling is first, it's cheap. And second, we want to get that interaction with locals. We follow a lot of um, blogs of people cycling. And we like that idea of going really remote. And it was going to be Latin America, which um, for me, being uh, speaking Spanish fluent, I thought it was going to be great. You know, we can go anywhere we want, really get to know the the, the locals, the, the, the towns where there were not many tourists go. And with a bicycle, we can go anywhere. We just camp along the way, cook our own meals. It's cheap. We can go for very long. That was the whole plan. Three months in, we realized, man, these, we really like this lifestyle. We love it. Why? I don't want to go back to work. I don't, I just want to keep kind of cycling, quote unquote, forever because this is great. We love it. Um, but I think it was the money issue, right? And, um, slowly we, we started thinking, okay, well, what about if we could pick up jobs along the way? We could work in different, uh, places and then just fund travel, the travels like that. So we did that for a bit. We were into, we both into the outdoors and we both were scuba divers. So when we were in Central America, we decided to take our uh, certifications to become instructors. So we could work as uh, scuba instructors and guides. So we did that for a while. So we'll cycle down Central America and we'll stop in a place and work in a, in a dive shop for like two, three months, earn some cash and keep going. We did that for a while and then we got into Central, uh, at the end of uh, Central America, so Panama, and then after that, there's not much diving in South America, so we couldn't find jobs. So we decided to give uh, travel blogging a go. That, this is back in 2013, right? So travel blogging was at, at its peak. YouTube wasn't really a thing. YouTube was working, but it's not like today. Internet wasn't as fast as it is today, and um, and we weren't interested in video anyway. So we gave the travel blogging a go and, and we did that for a year while we were in South America. Um, long story short, what happens is that, uh, by, by going, uh, by doing these kind of things, you know, we, we end up uh, traveling a lot slower. So that's why one year turned into three years. And, and then because we really like it, we, we found that slow travel opens a lot of opportunities to different experiences and different travel experiences and meeting people in a different way when you have an open schedule or when you're like slow when you don't have a, a flight to catch, a bus to catch, when you can, you know, if you get to a place that you like and people you like, you can stay two weeks, no problem. And all those things that combined to um, working here and there, that's what made uh, that year going into three years. And also because, I don't know, South America, it's, it's a, it's a place that is deep into my heart. I just, it's one of my favorite places on the planet. And we really like it. And we, we just didn't want to finish it. We just want to savor it. Uh, we also kind of realize it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And yeah, you, we read that quote a million times before, but when you're there, you realize it's there. We don't have, we're not in a rush to reach the bottom, the bottom of Argentina. 
Ushuaia is going to be waiting for us. Let's enjoy the way. And, and we kind of went into that slow travel. We realized that the cycling as well, it's, it's such a great way to, to do that. Like, I'm a firm believer that after these 10 years traveling in different ways, that the kind of transport that you have, uh, sorry, uh, let me frame this different. Each place has, has its optimal way of traveling. And what I mean by that is like there's some places that are better to be explored with a bicycle, other ones are better explored with a motorbike, other ones are better explored with a camper van or with a boat. And and if you want to meet the people, if you want to meet the locals, there's nothing like the bicycle. Like because you're very approachable, you're very slow. Uh, you there's many times that you're not gonna make it to the next town or to the next hotel. So you gotta ask people, hey, where can I put my tent? This is safe here. This that interaction you're gonna have if you want it or not. So you with a with a with a bicycle, you don't have a door, you don't have a window. You know, people stop. Hey, where are you going? They start chatting with you straight away, and and that. If you combine that with a place like Latin America, where Latinos tend to be very open, very living in the moment, that creates a combination that it's it's truly amazing, and uh, and we we really enjoy those those years. What was the daily rhythm of life? Let's mm-hmm. say. Yes. Yeah, so um, normally we're really following our feelings. Like we. Um, we want to stay longer in a place, we stay longer in a place, we want to move on, we don't like it, we keep moving. And then within each day, if we're moving, we normally we normally camp, most of the times we camp. Um, we get up, cook some breakfast, pack camp, and depending where we are, we start cycling around 8, 9 o'clock. We cycle for a few hours, we stop along the way, Um and then we'll end up cycling around six to seven hours a day with the the, the, the rest stops. And then we'll try to, uh, once we get to 3, 4 p.m., we'll start looking for a place to camp. Uh, if we go into a town or we, we, as we went into this trip and we start making money online, we, we could afford a little bit more. So maybe we're looking for a nice place uh, or just a, a small hotel. Or if not, we'll find a place to camp. And normally we want to find that place before dark, ideally. And uh, and then by the time it gets dark, uh, we kind of spend time cooking dinner and getting ready for the next day. That's kind of like a cycling day. If we at some place because we somebody invite us to their place or we stay in a hotel, then we just go with the flow, really. Like normally when people invite us to their place, they normally want to do something. Ah, oh, tomorrow, no, don't go tomorrow. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're just... So then you have those magic moments where you get the locals to show you around. And I mean, did you have guys have a lot of those types of experiences? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah? Lots of them. Yeah. Like, uh, especially in Mexico in particular. Really? Um, yeah. It's just hard to explain. But we'll be cycling and it'll be almost too much sometimes <laughs> to that point, right? Like... It'll be like, like that too much hospitality. You're like, uh, you don't have time for all this. <laughs> like, I need my space, mate. Like, <laughs> like, you know, give me a break. No, but great. Like, we'll be cycling this hill, you know, in southern Mexico, like really tough because we carrying a lot of weight, right? 
all the bags and all that. And then this guy turns up in the countryside, ah, giving us a shot of tequila. Yeah, come over, you know, give it a shot. Uh, come over to my house and and we'll have a lot of those. Like uh, people stopping by and giving us a pizza. Man. We have once, you know, that like we cycling there and it's like car stops and opens and it's a whole pizza. Like, here you go. Uh, um, Just like the next showing time, up with a pizza. Cool. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wow. You know, that's much better than the pasta and tuna that we were planning to eat tonight. Um, <laughs> or, or people saying, hey, I live in the next town, you know, like I'll be waiting for you over there and then you can stay over. And um, yeah, so you get that ticket to, but, but, but those things happen on the road, they're okay. But when people invite you to the house, you get a ticket to a new world, right? Like you see how they live, how they, you know, how they, their relationships they have, how they, how they deal with their kids, um, how the neighbors, you know, especially in, in Mexico, they're, they're very family oriented. Like you don't meet just one guy and, and his wife, you know, you meet the whole town. And, 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 and it's quite amazing because in the West, sometimes we, Spain is not too bad, but it's nothing near what, what's happening in Latin America. Families are very close. Everyone lives, you know, like uh, even in the same house. or There's just different way of living that I think has a lot of advantages. And um, and it's, it's, it's quite enriching to see that first person as, as a visitor. Because if you fly in, it's very hard to have those kind of experiences because yeah. – you're not you're not gonna go to those towns or you're not gonna get those invites i'm very intrigued because i i really have a strong desire to do a longer bicycle trip at some point so i always love hearing these stories when i think about your experience swimming and then you're getting on the bike and pedaling all day there's something you're choosing these activities that are very sort of repetitive and meditative you could say in some ways is that something that's important to you personally to have in your life? Uh, because it sounds like you enjoyed swimming. And I imagine, you know, you said, well, you're just swimming laps. It's boring. But there's something about the repetitive nature of a, ta- of a task like that that makes it meditative. Like everybody knows this going on a long walk. And once you get to a certain point where it just becomes, you know, so you're sort of just in, in the moment. You can't help but be in the moment. Um, I'm just wondering about your relationship with that with with your own i guess feelings around that and how these activities play in, into that and the importance of that for you if at all you know what like i never i never saw it that way but i think there's a lot of, a lot of truth on, on what you say like um i'm a person that like having time to think on my own uh, I'm not the person who meditates every day. I mean, it's not my thing, but I do spend a lot of time on my own. I love going for walks on my own. Every morning I go for a walk on my own and my wife goes and I walk on her own. We don't walk together. In the, that's the me only walk in the morning. Um, and cycling is very meditating because you're cycling six, seven hours a day and you've got plenty of time to think about your things. Um, so, yeah, maybe. Maybe you're right. Uh, there's a lot of similarities there. Swimming is the same. You know, you're doing 10, 400s and then you're just swimming and looking at the line underneath, you know, the bottom of the pool. And then that gives you a lot of time to think about things. So I think like maybe my personality, it's uh, kind of fuels up with those kind of activities. 
And, and maybe that's why I enjoy cycling a lot, like having my own time. Um, I also like, believe it or not, this is a bit weird, but I really like climbing with the, with the cycling. Like I never knew about it, but when we got to the Andes, we climbing these crazy uh, mountain passes to, you know, like 5,000 meters plus. We're really high, but very slow. And, and I really like those, those climbs, like slow going, thinking about my stuff in nature with the snow around. I don't know if it's me or it's just humans. Like, uh, it's good spending time on your own and on your own thoughts. Like, we live in a day where there's a lot of distractions and, uh, you know, phones and screens and uh, life is fast. And, and I think having, having that time for yourself and thinking about things and thinking about who you really are and, and, and where you want to, what kind of life you want to have. I think there's a lot, a lot of good that comes from that. And, and maybe, uh, uh, we decide to go cycling subconsciously because of that, but uh, uh, it's, it's great that you, you're making me think about it for sure. Um, and I guess like this is like looking back, it's easier to you know tie the dots. Like when you uh, see things forward, it's very hard. You know, it's very hard to predict the future. But once it's passed, you can see, ah, maybe I did that because of that, because of this, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe and maybe maybe you're right. Yeah? I don't know. I'm just doing my job over here. You know, <laughs> it's <just> my job. <laughs> this relates to anybody listening who's planning on traveling long term or is traveling long term. Like you said, you started out your journey working on your savings. You guys decided at some point you needed jobs, then you decided to go into doing the travel blogging thing, and that that's a whole other question. But how did that affect your travel experience? You mentioned kind of getting on the pedals, having time to pedal and think, and all that and kind of away from the screens and stuff. But when you start a business like a travel blog, then it's pretty intense with screen time. And that that's a whole other, you know, computer driven work, which you weren't doing in the beginning. You were doing more in the real world type of stuff, the scuba diving, the different things you were finding. You guys were outside all day. I'm just asking about this because I know I have my own personal experience with this as well. And I found it very difficult to go from um, this was a while ago now, but to go from the sort of real world type of work, let's call it, where you're interacting and, and you're doing stuff face to face in the physical world to being behind the computer most of the time. Yeah. How did you find that? Was it was it worth it? I guess I, I guess, you know, I'm just looking for kind of your experience on on making that transition and just some thoughts around it. Maybe some advice for anybody that's listening if they're mm-hmm. in that phase. Sure. Um, I didn't like it much, to be honest. Um, did not like it, no. Um, we we started because we needed money, honestly, and uh, we were trying to make money in certain ways. So, but then, because we, before we started like a proper travel blogging, we had a quote-unquote blog website that I kept a, for friends and family and just I will write whatever I wanted to write whenever I wanted to write right and then now when we started to make it more serious then I had a schedule to meet and then think well this post is it going to do well is it going to rank in Google is it going to you know I want to have to promote it on Facebook and Twitter whatever Instagram was saying yeah all that stuff and then I have these recurring tasks that I have to do every day or every week now we have to buy a phone we were traveling without phones believe it or not 
now I need a phone, now I need a plan, now I need more internet. All There's a lot of problems that we didn't have before. Before mm-hmm. we got without internet for three weeks, no problem, who cares? You were living the I simple just, life. Just let's pedal, let's see what happens today. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as long as I kind of manage to send uh, a message to my mom that, you know, every few days say, we're okay. Uh, that was, that's all we needed. And, but more than the screen, I think you can, you can manage the screen a certain way. There's a lot of automation tools you can use. There's a lot of things that, you know, there's a whole different conversation. But the main thing I didn't like is I didn't want to have my personal life tied to the business. And what I mean by that is I didn't want to have to keep traveling, keep putting my face and my stuff online to make money. I didn't like that at all. And my wife, even less. That was a big deal for us. And that was a deal breaker. That was, that's why we stopped doing the travel blog because we didn't want to have that. Like We were like, yeah, we want to travel now, but maybe in 20 years, 10 years, I don't want to keep traveling. And then the money's gone. Or if I have, maybe I don't want to have, a, I don't want to keep traveling when I start a family or when I settle down or I want to go back to do something else, then the business is gone. And I didn't like that. Or maybe I want to take a break and not travel for six months. I want to go and visit my family for a few months and then I don't want to be on the phone all the time. That was what made us to stop. And I think it's something that a lot of people are suffering with. I have friends that have huge audiences online and they struggle with that like huge YouTube channels that they say, are we in this content treadmill that we have to keep putting, we got to keep feeding the beast and they're doing really well. But if they stop, they know money is going to stop. And once you get used to making certain money, it's very hard to stop that wheel, right? And I think this, uh, there's a deep conversation to have and for people who are starting those kind of businesses, really think about it. Like, do you want to have your personal life tied to the money because when you stop that the money stops if you want to change your lifestyle money stops mm-hmm. and i think that's very important yeah i mean that can fall under one of the business lessons i guess because we're going to talk about some business stuff because i know you when you emailed me you said you started from about 500 bucks with no previous business experience or background and then you guys ended up making seven figures a year this is maybe later on. So we're going we're gonna to get some of the lessons there. But uh, no, I hear you. I mean, there's the content treadmill. Like I think about the podcast here, not to get too meta, but it's like, I realize that I have to produce content every week, but I, I love it. Like these are conversations that I would just have for fun. So I get to record them and do it as a part of thing and it's fulfilling. And so that, that's the question too. It's like, well, you can, you can still make that choice, but you just, just know that, you know, people... Yeah, if if people are following you and you have a YouTube channel or whatever, they're going to expect those videos to come out. So, you know, choose your medium wisely. Choose something you love. Like, I just love having conversations and it's just uh, a pleasure to just record them and put them out there. But, you know, I'd say roll with one medium if you're going to do something. That's really important. What's the medium that you enjoy doing for sure? If you like writing, write. If you like, like you even mentioned talking, kind of, you talk. were like, yeah, like we didn't want to do video and you just kind of knew that, you know, whether it's an opportunity or not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But also it's like not tying your personal life. Like, for example, you, you're doing your podcast, but you can do, you know, whatever you want. Like, like uh, it's not about you going and doing the same thing every day. Like, I don't know, like a travel 
no right channel travel log or whatever or yeah right like you can you can be traveling and doing this you can stay visiting your your in-laws and doing this you can you know like you can stay in the same place all the time and doing this you can pick a side job if you want and doing this it's not it's not tied to your personal life you can batch things ahead so you don't really have to record every every week you can do a bunch of them up front and then release them right that kind of stuff um so I think there's two things, right? The medium and also the what's the what's the content about? Is it about you or about other things? And and I think this podcast is a great example, right? It's about the conversation, it's about the stories, it's not it's not about your personal life. I mean, you obviously give it your personal touch because you're the host and it's your thing, but it's not about what you do every day, right? Yeah, and about how it affects your lifestyle as well, as you mentioned. If you choose something that you can like in that, you mentioned batching or doing things up front and things like that. You know, whatever you choose, you, you can tailor it to your lifestyle, of course. And I, I always recommend people do that when, I mean, you know, everybody listening to the show, like travels, we want to, we want, we're curious, we want to get out, want to explore the world. We don't necessarily be tied to our screens all the time, although parts of that we might really enjoy. But of course, everybody wants a bit more freedom. So just kind of looking at it through that lens and, and kind of reverse engineering it, I think, is a smart way to go about it. Just to wrap up the bike part, I mean, how did you guys feel when you got to Ushuaia down there? Which beautiful area. I love that area of the world. Was it anticlimactic? Kind of like, oh, OK, well, we're here. We've just been, you know, three years later. Here we are. Um, yeah, and that that was kind of like uh, something that always stick with me. It was definitely anticlimactic, uh, which we we can talk later because we definitely fix it for the motorbike trip. We stand a little bit too long. Uh, at the end, we were very tired of being on the bike. But that um, might be like a natural thing that just happens when you know you're getting to the end of something. You know, I feel like that is... Maybe there's a psychological principle there. I don't know. But, you know, end of a job, end of anything, you always kind of feel like, oh, when is it? You know, even if you love it, just like you're just ready to kind of move. You've already mentally sort of moved on to the next chapter of your life in some ways. Yeah. And and we, you know, business, another trouble block, but the the next business uh, is starting to take off a little bit. So it was, that was the exciting thing, right? We were cycling Patagonia. We had like, you know, it's it's very windy down there. And we had the wind on the face every day. It was super tough. We were done. And uh, and then we couldn't work very well. Not a lot of internet back then. I guess now this is, we made it to try in 2015. Um, so it was tough to work. Um, You're like, we have all this stuff to do. And we, instead yeah. we're out getting wind blown all day. Just like... <laughs> Absolutely, but you, could, man, you like, couldn't get you couldn't give up, right? You can be like, oh, let's just throw the bikes on it. But like, you're like, I have to finish this yeah. out. We're gonna kind of give it a closure, <laughs> but um, yeah, we were excited to the next phase. We were ready for a break, kind of rent an apartment somewhere and do a few months of working and a normal life. And uh, but yeah, what you say, Patagonia is great, right? So um, we we still enjoy. I definitely want to go back in a different mindset and fully explore it. And um, and we had like the last kind of perk of being a travel blogger. We had a press trip organized to go to Antarctica, so we we that was like the thing, right? Okay, well we we got to the end of the road, we got to Antarctica, and then the next phase will start, which is kind of more focusing on the business and um, doing a little bit more of uh, well. Now it's called digital nomad. Back then it was like the weird people throwing around with computers because <laughs> there were not yeah. that many people nice. doing it. But uh, that was kind of like what 
what came after the bike, right? A couple of years of like working in the business, traveling with laptops and backpacks and, and exploring other places around the world, but in a different way. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago, and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever zero to travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. So is this business, the one you're referring to, the one that took off from 500 bucks to seven figures? Is that the one? Yeah, that's the one. All right. I mean, well, I mean, everybody's ears are perked up now because it's like, I want to make seven figures starting with 500 bucks. <laughs> I mean, of course, we know that's easier said than done. Let's get into a little bit of that. Like, what, what was the business? How did you scale it and scale it along the way where you could also keep traveling full time? Because tra- full time travel, that's the irony. I think a lot of people, especially starting out, they take off and want to do the digital nomad thing, thinking, well, this will be great. I can work and travel. But it's a very difficult balance to find if you want to really have some deep travel experiences. Of course, you can have those, they happen over time. It's just a different way of doing it right? To go from kind of fully immersed in travel to like, yeah, you're, you're traveling, but you're also working. And that's a, that's a different kind of thing. But let's unpack this a bit with the uh, business stuff. Maybe you can share a bit more about what you guys built, how you grew it, biggest lessons learned, advice for others, that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. So, um, and doing it while traveling, I should mention. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, just a few things before we get into the, the details. So we start with $500. But what people don't see is like, a, apart from $500, we also put a lot of hours of work. So, you know, it's not like I'm working kind of quote unquote for free. So there's a lot of work that goes into that. And also it's not the first thing that worked. Like we tried different things online that didn't work. And we just iterate, iterate, iterate until we found something that worked. When something started to show potential, then we went full on, right? Okay, so double down. Yeah, exactly. So and then we stop everything else and then we just dedicate 
um, 100%. Focus. Focus on, exactly, focus. <laughs> but we try one thing at a time. One thing, we give it our best shot, doesn't work, next. Doesn't work, next. Doesn't work, next. And then this one works, everything goes into that. So um, what is this business? So when we were cycling and, and we were doing the travel blogging thing, we started to get, we started to build a bit of an audience, right? And, and people started emailing us about gear, about, hey, you know, I see you cycling down the Andes. I'm looking to buy a bicycle for this trip. What bicycle do you recommend? Hey, I saw you went hiking into the Peruvian Andes. I'm looking for some hiking shoes. I saw you using this one. Are you happy with those or not? Hey, I'm going into diving. I saw you being a diving instructor. I'm looking for a cheap entry-level dive computers. And in my local shop, they're just trying to sell me the $1,000 dive computer. Do you think I really need that or not? Or I can go with a cheaper one. What do you think? So a lot of people asking for advice. And we were answering people, hey, yeah, I think you should do this. I think you should do that, whatever. And then at some point, I told Amanda, hey, I think we should write articles with these answers, you know, because we're getting the same questions all the time, you know, like people. Like gear want, reviews, something yeah, like that? Yeah, kind of like that. Um, more than gear reviews is how to choose one thing. Like, let's say, dive computer. How can I choose a dive computer? Or how can you choose, let's, let's pick something that people might understand better. Hiking boots, right? Well, you know, like I have a wide feet, or I have a narrow feet, or I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna climb Everest. I don't. I, I just, I'm just gonna go like every weekend here on my on my area, or I'm gonna be carrying heavy backpacks or not. What do I need? Do I, I got like a, like a dodgy ankle. Do I really need boots so I can go with shoes? There's a lot of questions like that. More than should I buy this one? Should I buy that one? And so we start creating all these content. And suddenly started, we started getting a lot of traffic from Google. We didn't know what SEO meant back then. We just wrote content to help people. And we started getting um, getting traffic. And then at some point, we wrote an article, a gear review article, right? Like, um, I think it was probably dive computers or maybe hiking backpacks or something like that. Kind of like the typical. But back then, nobody was doing reviews. Yeah. yeah, this um, is like a different time. This is not yeah. really something you could apply. Exactly. Now. So this <laughs> is back in the day, 2014. There's no gear review sites in the outdoor niche. And Y Carter was already out there and a few others. But in the outdoor niche, may might have been one or two. And we thought, well, we're just going to write this and see with, if we put some affiliate links, if we make some money. And... Um, and that thing start taking off, taking off, and um, and eventually make millions of dollars. But uh, um, but that's pretty much what happened. Like we just start creating content, and um, and then obviously when we start making a bit of money, we start investing um, a lot into education. We took a few courses. We start really nailing down the SEO, learning about it, but. Continuing with that um, philosophy of being focused, that's all we did. We create content, we rank it for SEO. We forgot about Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, whatever. We didn't do any of that. All we did was content and SEO. That's it. 100% of that. And um, when we got to the bottom of, of Argentina, we're making only $300. And we've written a few articles, Amanda and I, here and there. And then before going to this trip that I told you about uh, to Antarctica, we rent an apartment in Ushuaia for a month. And we say, look, 
This thing seems that it might work. So let's rent a place for a month. And all we're going to do is writing articles. That's all we're going to do. We're going to put 40 articles out there this month between the two of us. Okay, so we went out. We did this kind of keyword research. We, we wrote 40 yeah, articles. Let's brew up the coffee. Days. Get the herbal yeah. mate going. Here that's we go. Right. <laughs> and it was raining every day, man. So we couldn't do anything. So we were just writing yeah. every day, day and night, day and night. Yeah. And uh, all about hiking and diving because that's what we knew about, right? Yeah. We knew about hiking. We well, knew it's nice about to write diving. about something you enjoy too and have personal experience and connection with, you know. Mm-hmm. Totally. Then, and that along took the business to make a couple of thousand dollars a month. And then from there, we started to scale it. Just to answer that question, to scale it. What we did was creating more content. That's as simple as that. But we expanded into different sports. And for that, because... I mean, we've done some kayaking before, some photography, but we weren't experts. So we we will hire writers to write those articles. So we'll do the keyword research, and I will say, look, Amanda, I think climbing is a great place to go into snow sports, mountain biking, kayaking, blah, 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 all the outdoor activities. And we'll just find writers that they will know about those things to write the articles. Okay. And, and that's how we scale. Yeah. From day one, we were very careful about we don't want a big team. We want to keep traveling. We want to make things lean, although it kind of got out of hand at some point. And we got pretty big with a lot of people and I ended up managing a lot of people. But I don't know if you want me to go straight into that kind of lessons learned and, you know, things that went wrong. But that kind of that's kind of like the big picture of how things happen. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I guess the p- core lessons I want to pull out there is, uh, you know, the idea of doing one thing at a time and then giving it your best shot and doubling down on the thing that works. I think that's a great takeaway. And then you mentioned the genesis of this business being just, uh, I guess, in, in the spirit of helping people with a problem they had. So you getting people writing in telling you their specific problems and then seeing that as the business opportunity also to be like, well, hey, we can solve this problem for people. People are looking for gear for this, that, and the other sport. Let's let's give them the information they need to make those decisions and monetize it, essentially. You know, that's a great way to start a business. I mean, you're, you're serving <laughs> just, people, right? Like, it's the best mm-hmm. way. Like, you have to have customers. So who are your customers? What problem are you solving? I mean, at the core of it, that's what a business is. You're solving a problem that people are willing to pay for a solution for. And in your case, they weren't paying anything. They were just clicking a link and then whatever. But you were getting them at the point of sale and blah, blah. I don't want to geek out on business here. I mean, we could Mm -hmm. a bit more, but (laughs) those were the lessons that I feel like were important to kind of highlight and a great reminder, I think, for even anybody that's running a business right now, that idea of, hey, let's kind of focus, do this one thing at a time, give it our best shot and, and really listen to the people that we're serving. You know, we can always all do a better job of kind of tuning in, I think, to those things and focusing, of course, as you mentioned, nowadays, it's a, it's tough. And we're pulled in a lot of directions. The, the money that you guys make, is that what sort of funded the, the sailboat? Because then you decided to live on a sailboat and basically clock around 10,000 nautical miles around the Caribbean and Mexico. <laughs> How did you guys pick the next mode of transportation? I mean, this is becoming like a thing for you guys. Like, all right, we did this mode of transportation, Let's do this one now. Like we don't know anything about this, so but we're curious enough about boat life to learn. Or did you meet somebody that was like, "Hey, this is awesome"? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, that's a cool story, actually. Um, at the very beginning of the trip, uh, we started from California, right, and we head south. 
And then we cross into Mexico and we cycle down the Baja Peninsula. Well, when you get to the end of the peninsula, you got to take a ferry to go across and continue the trip in mainland Mexico. And yeah, there's a ferry. You can take a ferry. But we got to this town called La Paz and there's a lot of sailboats there, man. And we were like, hey, it wouldn't be cool to just hitch a ride on a sailboat. Just, you know, maybe people, you know, there's a lot of people here. Maybe they need help. They need, I don't know, maybe we can clean, we can cook, we can, I don't know. Maybe, you know, they have space for us and we can go with them and we save money on the on the ferry. And then we we hung out in some of the marinas that they were in downtown and we put a note in, in one of those boards. And then, you know, you say, hey, we're just a young couple, friendly healthy, kind of like, we're not weirdos. And uh, um, we just, in this trip, in this journey, we like to get to the mainland. If you need a pair of hands, you know, we're happy to cook, to clean, to, you know, help you in whatever you need and and hitch a ride with you. And and then a, a guy replied. We got a, a call and say, yeah, you know, like I have a boat and yeah, I'm, I'm going to take it to Mazatlan, which is right across uh, to leave the boat there for the winter because hurricane season is coming and La Paz is not a good place to leave my boat there, so I'm going to take it to Mazatlan, and my wife is already back home, so, you know, I, I just need some, some, it'll be nice to have some company. And we're like, okay, sweet, okay, <laughs> all right. So we meet this guy, he's, he's a very old guy from uh, Michigan, no? Michigan, Minnesota, one of those states up there. Cool guy, just old guy, you know, like I said, yeah, he just needs help. Um and then he, he ended up having a really nice boat, a catamaran. And um, um, we just put the bikes there and we sail across with him. And we had this amazing crossing. Like we had the perfect weather. Back then, we didn't know how lucky we were. Like it was perfect weather. Like we sail all the way across. We have dolphins around. We have whales. Well, this was, is the uh, dream. Yeah, I, 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 I was into fish. I'm into I like to fishing and we, I hook up a tuna and we had, you know, we cooked the tuna there for the three of us. And, um, it was amazing. Man. It was crazy. Like it was the door to a new world, a, a world that we didn't know that existed. And I remember talking to Amanda because at night, May, um, Russell, the owner of this boat, the reason why he wanted us to go is because you, we didn't know, but you, when you're sailing, you always have to ask one person awake. So he needs to sleep. So he needs some people to be awake while he sleeps. That's all he needed. So, and I remember being awake during the night and, you know, the stars and the moon was out and talking to Amanda and thinking, man, it'll be so cool to be able to travel on a sailboat. You know, it's like the bike, but on the water. You can go anywhere you want. You just can, you know, like, imagine, you know, you can go to all these islands where, not, not many people can go to unless you have a boat. It'd be so cool because this guy was taking, telling us all these stories. Yeah, I bought the boat in South Africa. I was thinking, hang on, you bought the boat in South Africa and we're in, in Baja? How did the boat get here? So, yeah, I just sail it. I, I've been around the world twice, well, actually two times and a half. And then, yeah, I'm just getting old, so I'm just staying around here now. And so we were totally blown away. But... We were always telling ourselves, yeah, it's cool, but we can't afford it. We can't afford it. We can pay for it. This, I don't know how much it costs, but it's too expensive. We can't afford it. And then when we start making money, uh, not, not millions, but we start making a little bit of money, we got into this self-help 
world, right? We start reading a lot of books, not just about business, but a lot of about health and a lot of books about money and a lot of books about mindset. And one of the lessons that I learned from one of these books is how you ask yourself a question. So it's not about you can't afford it. The question is, how can you afford it? That's the question. How can you afford it? And if you flip that switch, and instead of telling yourself that you can't afford it, that it's how can you afford it, you start looking at things differently. And that's how we start investigating a little bit. Okay, how much is a sailboat? Um, what, how, how do these people, there's a lot of people doing it, and they don't seem extremely wealthy. They're wealthy, they have super yachts and these big power boats, but we don't need that. We want like a, a sailboat that, you know, like you... You power the boat with the with the with the uh, with the wind. You know, you live on it. That's what we want, really. And we start digging and say, okay, well, we, we you still need money, but it's not as much as we thought. And, um, and there's different ways you can do it. And that was kind of the motivation to scale the business because we got to a point where we can keep traveling with the money we're making. We're making more money than I was making back in New Zealand already. And we can travel anywhere. We working remotely, which was a very weird thing back then, right? Pre-pandemic, working remotely wasn't as popular. But for us, you know, it was like, man, this is sweet. You know, we can do all these things, work from anywhere. We have a few thousand dollars coming every month. But the boat was what it gave us the the focus and the encouragement to scale the business, to be able to mm-hmm. afford it. Cool story. Yeah, I, I think that's... One of the things that I am getting from that is a great reminder that, you know, you can Google until your eyes fall out of your head, but there's something about the things that will happen when you're on the journey, like deciding to write a note about yourselves and see if you can hitch a ride on a sailboat that was one sort of thing that just happens on the ground that you notice, oh, this is a thing. We have to get across here. Okay, I see these boats. And that decision turns into, you know, being exposed to this whole new lifestyle, you know, reading all these books, getting motivation for your business. And yet, like, that doesn't happen unless you're standing in Baja trying to get across the thing. And sometimes, well, oftentimes, I mean, that's that's what's exciting, I think, about the journey and one of the things that I think it's always important to remind yourself that, hey, things are going to happen on this journey, a variety of things, good, bad, and ugly, let's suppose. But those things that will reveal the next path, yeah, it's hard to understand them because you don't know what they are, but they will eventually show themselves in some ways. That kind of stuff happens when you're, when you're doing it, right? Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't yeah. Google that or research it. Uh, yeah, you can't. You have to be there. You have to put yourself in there, and um, and be yourself you, in that moment. That in yeah. that moment, you guys were just curious yeah. about getting across in a different way, maybe connecting with somebody. You yeah. know, um, yeah. You you can plan it. You can read. I mean, I guess you can read about it if someone has done it before. But uh, that spontaneity that comes with being there and, and looking at the problem and then say, okay, well, why don't we try? You know, there's nothing. We don't have anything to lose if we don't. Nobody picks us up. We just take the ferry and and go across. And um, yeah, it's just. And then you, you, the people you meet as well. Like um, then after we got the, we met Russell. There were more people. Hey, I want to hit your ride too. I said, well, you know, we were first, and we have we found one already. Go and find some, you know, somebody else. Um, but yeah, it's just yeah. 
um, I just really agree with that, with what you said. Like um, from the comfort of your house, uh, and if you're trying to plan any everything, you're gonna miss into these these experiences that you can't plan. You just can't plan it. Outside of the expense of the cost of the boat, and I know there's upkeep and, of course, stuff like that, but would you say comparatively with bike touring, how expensive is it on a daily basis to live that kind of sailboat lifestyle versus, it sounds like you guys were living pretty moderately on the bike trip, right? Yeah, well, there's, there's a whole range uh, with the boat. But um, just to give you some, because I don't want to say it depends what I already say, but like um, I want to give clear examples, right? Like once you have the expenses buying the boat, right? It's kind of buying the How house. much was your boat? Do you, can you say? It was about a couple hundred thousand. And do you, do, you, do you take that on? Like do you put a down payment and then have monthly payments or did you guys buy it? We bought it straight. Yeah. Yeah, oh, we wow, bought cash, okay. yeah. Yeah, um, but um, yes, it was about 200000 Um So, but you can go with a much cheaper boat if you want, right? Like, I've met people with a gun around the world with a boat that is less than 100000 A lot of people, they, or they, I would say the majority or more than half of the people, they sold the house to buy a boat. They do whatever they want to do, and then they sell the boat and buy another house. So a lot of retired people, they do that. They, they have the house paid off and they just buy um, a boat. A boat is like a house. It's, you can go from, there's minimum, but there's no maximum, right? You can spend millions and millions of dollars if you want a boat, same as a house. Uh, but once things are paid off, I've met families, families with three kids traveling on $1,500 a month. Because you can cook your own meals, you can anchor out, you don't have to pay for marinas, you can go very cheap. If you like eating out and all that, normally the places where you go with a boat tend to be more expensive because they're more remote. So food and stuff, they tend to be more pricey because they have to bring them over. Um, you can fish a lot. You you know, depends on how much you drink, how much, you know, what kind of food you want to eat. You can go cheap and you can go more. For us, once the boat is paid off, um yeah, for the two of us, we could live very comfortably and we like eating well. We could live in a couple of thousand dollars, $2,000 a month. We could live very, very, very well. Um, but the thing is that the month, you know, maintenance of the boat, if the boat is newer, you need less maintenance. If you, the boat is older, you need uh, more. If the boat is bigger, it's more sure. expensive than maintenance. I mean, the you boat know, so. is, the, is the big thing. Yeah. yeah. What was the book you read, by the way, that gave you that question? Do you remember the money mindset question? Ah, uh, yeah, classic. Reach that, put that. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Those books are great. The the money mindset type of books, I found a lot of value in, in them. One I've read is called "The Psychology of Money" by Morgan Housel. I think I'd recommend that one. And uh, there was another one by T. Harv Eckert that I read a long time ago. I can't remember. Um, I think reading reading about money is very important because it is. Money is kind of like a taboo in this society, right? Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to know what's possible. That's why when you say, you know, like when people ask me, like how much money the business makes and how much the boat costs, um, I like giving the numbers because um, that gives you an idea of what's possible and being kind of secret about money sometimes doesn't help, I think. Like, um, no. 
So I think it's important. And, and, and those books are great because they kind of debunk a lot of the myths about money and how much money you need. And Yeah. And, I mean, the reality is things cost money and travel costs money and you have to figure it out. And I think a part of that is what's beneficial to have an awareness around the money mindset. And that doesn't mean this isn't like what I'm describing isn't the you know, the I'm going to sit and wish for money and then it's going to appear in my lap as I sit. It's more about, you know, how you frame things, the questions you ask yourself, how you see money, maybe giving you an awareness around like what what the messaging you received was when you were growing up. Is that impacting you right now? All that type of stuff. So, you know, even like when people hear that you spent 200000 on a boat, I mean, it's just like, well, man, I wish I had $200,000 laying around to buy a boat. That sounds good for him you know but but the rea- but but also but listen but then you know it's how you frame it right like you could also look at it like well hey like they did they did it and they figured it out while they were like bike touring down south america with almost no money like that that's a possibility you know that's encouraging absolutely and let me give you another uh, another data point when we were traveling on bicycles our budget was ten dollars a day $10 a day per person for everything. Sleep, eat, whatever. $10 a day. That's $20 a day for the two of us. And not many people will do it, right? And uh, I was in New Zealand with a cushy job, earning well, not earning a lot. I think it was only like 70 k a year. But, you know, a decent job. And, um, and then I decided to give it up. And then we went, you know, to the very cheap, to the very end. And then we bought the boat with money that we create, we made, right? And, and I think that's the lesson, the lesson that if, if we were able to do it, you can do it. I don't have any business background. My university degree is, you know, it's like sports science, biomechanics. It's like way far from what we're doing. Like, But you guys educated yourself through, yeah, through Absolutely. doing it. And then you said you invest in courses and things. It's, it's a journey. Yeah. The business yeah. journey is just like the travel journey. It just takes mm-hmm. time and you observe, you learn things along the way. And now you have business experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and a well, lot of things that didn't work too, right? Well, yeah. I mean, what we should talk about just to let people know about Adventure Fix. Do you want to let people know what you guys are doing now so people can go check you out or stay in touch? Or Sure. Yeah. So Adventure Fix is uh, it's an adventure travel magazine uh, that features travel expeditions, wildlife encounters, and remote places that not many people have heard about. Uh, we send it via email every Friday and it's uh, and it's free. So Anyone, if anyone's interested, they can go to Adventure Fix. is uh, adventurefix.co. That's .co. They can drop the email there, and they'll get it. And they get the new issues every every Friday. And the reason why we're doing this is, um, you know, I think the problem that it's out there today it's very different from when we start traveling. Like when we start traveling, there weren't there wasn't enough information out there. Now I think it's too much. It's hard to find good content. Um, sometimes, you know, I joke with my wife, like, uh, sometimes I click on an Instagram post and there's this girl showing the butt and say, look, I honestly thought it was a hiking video. I just want to see, you know, the, this really cool hiking rather than not. And this girl is turning up here and showing off. I wasn't here for the girl. I was, I wanted to know where the route is or the, or the mountain is because it looks awesome. So there's a lot of clickbait, short form. And, and I think there's a place for like the old, um, 
all kind of an old style magazine. I grew up reading uh, Nat Geo and Outside Magazine and those magazines today, they're like, they're struggling. And I think they're struggling because the content is very different. They, they went into the lifestyle business, a lot of ads are not very relevant. And I don't know, all I want to read is about cool adventures, outdoor adventures out there and places that haven't heard about it. So that's what we're trying to do. So if that's what um, are you into, that's what we providing every week for free on your emails. And this is your main thing now, right? Yeah. How's it going? Uh, we love it. We love it. It's just my wife and I, so we don't have any team. My la- my wife loves writing, so that's that's what I'm going back to what we talked about. Like, uh, what's our medium? Our medium is not video. It's not audio, although I like chatting, but she really likes writing, and, uh, and that's what we do. And I love marketing, so I'm a numbers guy, so I love the growing something from zero to one. So uh, I'm, I'm doing the marketing. She does the, the product. All right. Well, I appreciate everything you shared today. We, we shouldn't gloss over the fact of your recent adventure, which the, we mentioned the motorcycle. You guys just recently went from Spain to Cape Town via West Africa, 30,000 kilometers on a motorcycle. Again, and that's right. I mean, like, what? Uh, what is this? You guys think like you can't just you can't just go like you know fifty miles down the road. Or you got to go like thirty thousand miles, ten thousand miles. This is, uh, what's next? I mean, where are you guys? What's the next thing? <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, I wonder what is next. Yeah, um, who knows? Uh, I just like the journey. I like the journey. Yeah. Like um, the being on a kind of like a rough. We're going south. And we'll make it there eventually. Right. Having kind of a destination you, and just kind of going It gives a you a bit of focus and, 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 and yeah, just gives you focus. So you, you're not going in circles, I guess. And, and West Africa is like, it's very hard to break it into pieces because once you're in West Africa, it's hard to fly out. It's, hard, it's just, if you go, you got to cross the whole way. And, uh, and it was a challenge, you know, like every, I guess, if you want to get that growth, you got to go a step up every time, right? Making it a little bit more difficult, more challenging, more remote. Uh, for us, Amanda and I, we're at a point where we'd like to start a family soon. So West Africa was also like, we always call it, this is a BK trip, which means before kids. So we're not going to go to West Africa with kids. So uh, if we want to do this, we better do it now. And And the motorbike was also the idea of, the novelty, going a motorbike, going a little bit quicker than the bicycle. Um, West Africa, you know, there's a lot of problems with, uh, with uh, you know, malaria and, you know, a lot of illnesses there, like it's a bit unstable, some areas. So we wanted to have the the possibility to go a little bit quicker whenever we want it. And with the bicycle, you don't have that. You got too slow. And we thought that West Africa, the best way to go was – with a small motorbike, like enduro uh, motorbike off-road because the roads are pretty bad and we could go, you know, like to all these national parks that are very remote, that with a bicycle will be very difficult, with a car will be very difficult, flying in will be very expensive and now we don't like that style of traveling. 
And we like the challenge. We like, like, look, we love Cape Town. It's one of our favorite cities in the world. We're in Spain. We're just going to go. We're going to go for a ride to Cape Town. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> we just did it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, all these adventures, did you guys have any near-death experiences or, like, bad crashes or miss? I'm sure you had things happening. But uh, anything that, that kind of still haunts you or any trauma? Or, I, mean, I don't want to get too... You know, I mean, these, you know, a lot happens on these journeys, I imagine. So, absolutely. Yeah, plenty, especially in the African trip, plenty. Like, we both got malaria. Amanda had a pretty bad crash in the Congo, which is probably the worst place to crash your bike in the, in the whole route. We got denied entry. So, we got stuck in between two borders between Algeria and Mauritania in the middle of the Sahara. So they stamp us out and they Mauritania didn't let us in and we're in the middle of the desert without internet or anything. Uh, we got a lot of stories like that. Surprisingly, West Africa, we felt pretty safe, um, which uh, I guess not many people um, have a lot of things. So there's, you know, stealing and all that, you know, it's not, it's not a problem, I think. It's more that, it's very intense. It's definitely overpopulated. It's, it's very corrupted. It's very dirty. It's very polluted. It's very noisy. It's very in your face. It's very, you know, like it's, it's the mm, bureaucracy is a nightmare. It's the whole challenge every day. Things work differently, but that's kind of what you go for in a way, right? Like you secretly go for that kind of stuff for the, let's see if we can make it through. And, uh, and we were in 2022. So a lot of countries were still closed with because of, you know, the, the COVID restrictions and all that. So that add another layer of complexity. But we love it. I mean, it's, a, it's one of those trips that you enjoy more afterwards, you know, not in the moment. In the moment, it's, you just want to get out of that. But once you've done it, you reflect on the trip. You look back and you realize all the lessons that you learn. You go, you know, I'm in Spain and people complain about freaking everything. And you realize, you know what? We have it really well here in the West. Like, it's very clean. You have access to healthcare. It's stable. It's safe. It's clean. It's not polluted. You got access to high quality food, high quality education. You should be grateful for that. And I think, well, that's, that was a big lesson in Africa. And I think that's why, one of the reasons why a lot of people travel, right? For that growth, for that learning that happens when you get out of your comfort zone. So for that, Africa, it's, it's almost unbeatable because uh, the lessons are, are big. <laughs> Where are you guys based now? Are you based? That's a million-dollar question. Uh, um, between Mexico, Spain, and the U.S., that's where we are. We're kind of deciding where we'd like to get two bases. We don't, we're not sure yet. Probably Spain and the U.S. We love Mexico as well. That's We don't want to give it up. But I think it's going to be half of the year Spain, half of the year Mexico in the U.S. And just because my wife is from the U.S., so it's kind of family time as well and adventure. Yeah. Which part of the U.S. is she from? She's from California. Um, her parents live in Florida now. They moved there recently. Our plan is probably get an RV and, and kind of tour around a little bit, especially if we... If we have kids soon, we like to do the RV thing for a bit, and then having Spain as a base of like normal life, kind of like the next schools, mode of uh, transportation. Yeah, oh, RV. Yeah. It's always <laughs> yeah. It's it's still on the list. Yeah, <laughs> you pick it up. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good one to to choose with kids. I'm I'm 
close to uh not close to but i've been thinking about getting a little camper type of situation on a trailer type thing but i'm like i don't even have a trailer hitch on my car and that costs money that's a whole other question anyway i will let people know that i'll leave your link to your website i should say on uh on the show notes as well as everything we mentioned and um if yeah if you want to share any last minute parting words of wisdom or just uh whatever here we'll let you we'll let you go about your day and hang out with your family but yeah cool yeah um yeah, it was really pleasure to uh to connect first and uh and to do this this interview and yeah what would i say to people is just uh believe in yourself you know if this if this a dream that you have that that you always had just go for it just it's just the hardest thing is uh is to start like uh, don't think that you can do it and remember the question is how can you do it and and then just go for it like learn from people who've done it before before you there's probably people who've done what you want to do study them reach out they probably uh they will be very um glad that you that you reach out and they, they're probably very keen to help you out and uh, don't listen to people who haven't done what you that you wish you you do. You know, like you know, because those people they they all just put their fears into you. They all say, "Ah, oh, you can't do that. You can't do this." But they, they don't have they, they don't know. They don't have a clue. Just take advice from people who've done what you want to do, and then just follow their advice and go one step at a time. Great advice, Antonio. Thank you so much. Gracias, and <laughs> um, look forward to staying in touch. Cheers, man. Great to connect and you have a good day. Eh? Cheers. Thank you once again to Antonio Kala for stopping by the show. Hope you enjoyed our chat. And I wanted to share a helpful acronym that ties in with what he shared at the end, the idea of learning from somebody who has done what you wanted to do. And a lot of us will buy courses online or take courses in person or, you know, go to study something, whatever the case is. And I have found this acronym to be helpful because when you find a teacher, a mentor, whatever the case is that has done the thing you want to do and you believe in them and you believe in their advice, this acronym is a great way to focus. And that is the acronym focus F O C U S. In this case, used as an acronym, it stands for follow one course until successful. Follow one course until successful. Focus. And that's something I'm working on right now, focusing, trying to do one project at a time instead of trying to get, you know, a little bit done in each one and push everything forward. Follow the one thing until you've accomplished the thing. And that acronym has helped me in the past. So I thought I'd just throw it out there in case you had anybody jumping to mind when you were listening to Antonio's advice at the end and you're preparing to or currently studying under somebody or taking a course or whatever, you can use that acronym, FOCUS, follow one course until successful. That can work well and helps us uh, scatterbrained folks like me. (laughs) Reigns us in. Okay, we'll close this out with a quote from the great tennis player, Venus Williams, who said, I don't focus on what I'm up against. I focus on my goals and I try to ignore the rest. One last reminder, zero to travel.com slash newsletter to keep in touch off the podcast and drop me an email 
or a voicemail anytime. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Peace and love to you and yours. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.